Well, we as human beings, we have a remarkable ability to mark significant events in our life with celebration. We love to celebrate birthdays and anniversaries. Maybe you have your own traditions for Super Bowl Sunday. It's something that animals don't do. Your dog isn't upset if you don't celebrate his birthday or your fish isn't upset that you haven't celebrated the anniversary of having the fish in your home but we love to mark anniversaries. It's things that we do really as a family. And as a family of God, we do the same thing. We have some ways of marking and celebrating significant events. And as we're in this series, we call We The Church, we wanna talk about two of those this weekend. And we're gonna practice them as well, because we're in this series about the church, not just attending church and going to church, but what it is to really be the church. And what sets the church apart, often from other groups, is that we remember these two things. We call them sacraments. That's kind of the official word. And we're gonna look at the sacrament of baptism and of communion. And sacraments are just not rituals that we go through. They're not things that we made up. They are two things that Jesus gave to us. And they are more than just something to do. They are to be pictures of what the gospel is. They are to be reminders of how Jesus is working in our life. And more than just something to obey, there are also opportunities for the Holy Spirit to interact in our life. And it's a way that God brings grace and power and truth into our existence. And it's what marks us as a family. So today we wanna to talk about baptism and about communion. And the first is baptism. And it is something very important to Jesus. If you look at his life, we realize that he started his ministry, his formal public ministry with being baptized by John the Baptist in the river and the God speaking to him powerful ways. And then he goes into temptation and then he starts his ministry. He begins with baptism, but he also ends with a command to us to go and baptize. In Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus, just before he ascended back to heaven, after he was resurrected, he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. And here is Jesus. He's saying to people, I want you to go and baptize people. Baptism marked the beginning of his ministry. It marked the end of his earthly public ministry. It's obviously something important to him. The word baptizo actually isn't a unique word. It really means to wash, cleanse, basically to have a bath. And it was a very simple word that was used to talk about a number of things. They would even bathe or wash or, or cleanse uh, instruments that were used in the temple for Old Testament worship. And I often think that's significant because they were set apart for something. When we're baptized, we're set apart for a unique work of God. But the Bible takes this very simple word and infuses it with deep spiritual meaning. Jesus says, I want you to be baptized. I want you to baptize others. It's a means of grace because baptism, it means something spiritually. First of all, 
Baptism is really a significant way that we go public with our faith. It means that we are announcing to the world that we are followers of Jesus. It identifies us, so to speak. And in the Old Testament tradition, if you were a Gentile, not a follower of the one God, and you wanted to convert to Judaism, you would do four things. You would give yourself to the Old Testament law, you would share a meal, uh, you would gather together, and you would have a celebration, uh, a meal, and you would wash yourself. And in this washing of yourself, you were kind of cleansing yourself of your Gentileness and becoming Jew. It was kind of a way of getting rid of everything in your life and starting brand new and starting over and saying, I'm identifying with this particular culture and faith. And then John the Baptist comes along and he says, I also want to infuse that with this idea of repentance, that in order to become a follower of God, there is this repentance of leaving an old way of life and turning to God in a new way of life. And he would baptize people to be able to do that. And people would be baptized saying, hey, I want to identify with John's teaching of repentance. Now, what's fascinating is to become a Jewish individual, you would cleanse yourself, you'd have your own bath. Now John is baptizing you. He became known as John the baptizer. And it was really a beginning picture that we can't cleanse ourselves, but only God can do it. Jesus comes along, he's baptized by John. And then people after a while begin to say, hey, we're following Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, that rabbi is the one we follow. So they were baptized by him as a very public display of following Jesus. And that's what baptism really is. It is going public with our faith. It is saying, I am a follower of Jesus. And there's a lot of accountability. And sometimes people are like, oh, can I just be baptized privately? No, there's a public aspect of saying I'm a follower of Jesus. And this is why for some, and even some in our congregation, it's difficult and dangerous for them, and even for members of their extended family, for them to publicly declare that they are a follower of Jesus. Why we need to pray for each other, and why we're somewhat careful in the stories that we share. But this is what baptism does. It says, I am a follower of Jesus. Secondly, what baptism does is saying, I have new life. I've given up my old way of life and I have a new way of life in Christ that I'm no longer tied to the way it was. And Paul writes about this in Romans chapter six. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who are baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried with him by baptism into death into order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. And Paul here is writing to Romans and from our series previously, remember that they just thought they could do what they want, live how they want, and they could mess up and sin and, and go to God and God's like, oh, it's okay, you're forgiven. And, and Paul says, how can we take God's grace so lightly? Don't you realize you are a changed person? And baptism is just a public display of that. It's a reminder that we are dead to our old way of life. And Paul uses here, 
this image that when we go down into the water, it's like we're dying to ourselves. The old self is kind of dead. And when we're raised, come out of the water, we're raised new to life, powerful, uh, victorious, uh, spirit-filled in Christ. This is a work of God. Now that doesn't happen. All that doesn't happen at baptism. It's a picture of what has happened to us in Christ. And it's a reminder to us. This is what a sacrament is. It's a reminder of what has happened, that we are changed. And I think every time we watch a baptism, I mean, we're only baptized once, but when we watch a baptism, it's a reminder to us of what has happened. We're completely new, we're changed in Christ. There's a, um, an, old, an old ancient Greek recipe. It's kind of funny. There was a philosopher, a poet by the name of Nicander. He was a Greek poet. And he leaves behind in some of his written records a recipe, believe it or not, for pickles. And the recipe said these, take cucumbers and you wash them and then you baptizo them, you baptize them in the vinegar. And those pickles then are no longer really cucumbers because they're changed. And I think what a great picture of what baptism does. When we go down into the water, we are dying to our old way of life. We are becoming immersed in the presence of God and we're raised new. We are no longer the same. And, and this is why in some ways we baptize people who are of age and are of faith and, and who can articulate and declare their faith and say, this is what has happened to me. I'm leaving my old way of life and I am being raised new. Thirdly, baptism, it just means it's a step of obedience. Jesus said, I want you to go and baptize. And early church teaching, when people would come to Peter and others say, what must I do to be saved? Peter would say, well, repent, turn, turn to Jesus and then be baptized. And we don't believe that baptism is essential for salvation, that you're not in Christ until you're baptized, but it's one of the first things to do in obedience to our salvation. And sometimes people say, I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know what my next step is. And one of the questions I ask is, have you been baptized? Have you taken that initial step of obedience, going public with your faith, declaring the change that's happened in your life, and if you haven't, maybe that's the next step. Until you take the basic steps of obedience and following Jesus, why would God reveal some of the next steps? And so if you haven't been baptized, I would encourage you uh, to, to write in, check in, check out at the Next Step Center or email us and, and get on the list for the next baptism that we do. And then finally, baptism means we are really part of God's family. We're baptized into Christ. And it's very much a community experience. And we are baptized together. And when people are baptized, they choose a local church. They choose a, a local gathering place to be baptized with and saying, here's where God is working in my life. Here's the place that I'm experiencing community and life change. And when people are being baptized, they are saying, I want to identify with this church community. And we're saying, we are here to help you in your new life in Christ. There is kind of this tacit agreement. We are one together, a family together. This is what we do. You're part of our family now. You're with us now. There's no insider, outsider. You are part of our family. And so this weekend at Bayview, there are a number of people who are being baptized. We've got some of their stories to share, and you can find more of their stories and testimonies about God worked 
in their life at bayviewglen.org slash baptism. And uh, next week, we're going to have a, a video, just kind of a compilation of just all the baptisms that took place here at Bayview this weekend. But here is one story, and I just hope that it encourages how God reached down and changed a life, and they want to publicly declare their faith today. Listen. Uh, 湖南出生我开始感到迷茫孤独后来通过朋友的介绍来到了教会在这里我感到这块很友善很开心尽管我语言一点也不通但我感觉一点都不陌生愿意来教会参加了那个线上和线下的启发启发课使我了解了耶稣是谁他为什么为什么去死而死上帝的爱让我决定跟随他自从决定跟随他后呢奇妙的事情就发生了我再也没有那个度日如年的感觉每天都过得很充实快乐以前我是个不爱学习英语的现在也想学了以前那个迷茫呢孤独的感觉也不见了以前从来不认错的我也主动跟孩子和朋友承认错误请求原谅家庭和朋友的关系也更融洽了每天就愿意来教会学英语做礼拜还做义工感觉很开心我认为受了洗礼以后呢受了洗礼以前以前心里那些负罪感吧就都洗掉了感觉我可以轻松的开始新的生活受了洗礼自己就是上帝的孩子了有那个安全感了心里话
And she disclosed to him that she had kidney disease. Her kidneys were failing. She was on dialysis, waiting for a transplant, but there was no transplant to be had. Michelle's mother wanted to be, but because of medical conditions, she couldn't. Her siblings were a little afraid to do so, and Michelle felt trapped. And Germain decided to donate one of his kidneys. And after a while, there was a big transplant. He gave the kidney, she received it, and she's doing fine. But a couple times a month, Jermaine would say to Michelle, come for supper, come to dinner. And they call it a gratitude meal, where they're just reminded of the goodness of God and the goodness of friendships together. And on a regular basis, Jesus, he says to you and I, why don't you just come for a meal? Come for supper, come for dinner. And we call this communion. It's the second of the sacraments that we, the church, we do together. We just don't attend, but we're invited to fully participate. Jesus started this meal the night before he was betrayed. And he said to his disciples, you can sense the eagerness. He says, I've eagerly waited to share this meal with you, to have dinner with you, to have lunch with you. Now, Jesus that night, they were celebrating a very particular meal. It was the Passover. It was a, a meal that similarly was a celebration, a tradition that reminded them of what God had done over a thousand years before, how God had delivered them from the slavery of Egypt to the people of Israel. And each element of the meal, it, it had significance. The unleavened bread was a sign uh, of, symbol, of uh, sinlessness. One of the pieces of unleavened bread, it was hidden and then found. It's almost like a picture of God. Sometimes it's hiddenness and, and, and God comes back. And then a picture of Jesus, it really is, of, uh, of being in the grave and then coming out to life. Every part, the bitter herbs, they were to remind them of the bitterness of, of being enslaved. And then Jesus, he took two elements of that supper and he elevated, he changed them. He took one of the four cups of wine and he said, this is the cup of a new promise, a new covenant, a new relationship. And he was going to the cross so he could die to forgive us of our sins. He took bread and one of those pieces of unleavened bread. He said, this is a picture of my body that's broken for you. And so then on, he says, whenever you gather, when you meet until I return, I want you to share this meal together so that you will always remember me. And I think that's kind of fascinating because I imagine the disciples going, wait a minute, Jesus, how could we forget you? We've spent three life-changing years with you. How could we forget you? But we have a habit of doing that. We have a habit of taking God for granted, taking life for granted, taking our relationship for granted, taking the presence of the Holy Spirit for granted, taking our forgiveness for granted. And there are many ways we go about all of our week and we forget about him. And so one of the sacraments, the pictures of what Jesus has done, something to remember is this gift of sharing a meal, coming to supper with the community of Christ and with Jesus. Paul says, as he writes about communion in 1 Corinthians, he says there's two things that communion does. It proclaims the good news of the gospel and it invites us to reflect and review our life. First thing Paul says is that it's a proclamation really of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 13, 
uh, verse 23, Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And Paul says, whenever you eat this and drink this, you are proclaiming something. You're proclaiming the power and the salvation and the grace of Jesus. And so when we eat this meal, and we're gonna do that in a few moments, we are proclaiming some things. The first is that we are proclaiming that we need Jesus. It's a reminder to us that we cannot obtain salvation on our own. If, if we could be good enough or do whatever we needed to do or pray hard enough, that Jesus would never have had to come, give his life, die, suffer, rise again for our salvation. It's a reminder that we need him. And maybe you need to just remember that. Maybe for the last few days, you've been feeling like it's all about me. It's everything I do. I've, I've got to do it. The weight of the world is on my shoulders. It's about Jesus. And when we share this meal, it's a reminder that we need him and we all need him. And everyone is invited to the table who wants to seek Jesus and realize that they need him. And this is the, the beauty of communion. Everyone is invited to this meal. You know, Jesus said he is the only way to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father. And sometimes what happens is people go, oh, that's like too exclusive. Jesus says he's the only way. He is the way, but he is inclusive because anyone can come. And anyone, if you realize, I am not able to get salvation, I need Jesus, you're invited to this meal. It proclaims that we need Jesus. Secondly, it proclaims his presence with us, that we are doing this together as his church, and it reminds us that he is really here with us. And this is why Jesus said, I want you to remember me, because there are times we forget. We forget that he is present. We think sometimes, oh, Jesus is far away. He's up in heaven. He's dealing with something else. It reminds us he's with us individually, and he's with us as a community. And it reminds us of our need to feast on him. Because as we come for supper, as he invites us to dinner, Jesus reminds us we've been feasting on so many other things. And as you come today, I don't know what else you may be feasting on. You may have been feasting on hurt of the past. You've been going over and over and over. Maybe there's been a mistake in the past and it keeps haunting you and all you can do is thinking on it. Maybe you're feasting on worry and anxious and replaying worst case scenarios. Maybe you've been feeding on envy or jealousy. Maybe it's been bitterness and hurt that you've been feasting on. And Jesus said, hey, I'm here. I'm the bread of life. As you eat this and drink this, right, it's a reminder to feast on him. Third thing that we proclaim is that we proclaim that the world we live in will end, that our suffering and death will end. Jesus said what, or Paul reminds us to eat this and drink this, that we proclaim the Lord's death, right, until he comes. It's a proclamation that Jesus died on the cross for us. Without that, there's no forgiveness of sin. 
but we proclaim it what? Until it comes. When we eat this meal, it's a reminder that something other is coming. That the season that we're in, it will end. It's only for a season and something else will come. Death is not permanent. There is life. Our suffering is not permanent. There is life. Our pain is not permanent, but there is healing. When we eat this, it's a reminder that what we experience is only temporary. Jesus is coming back. He's restoring the world. He's going to bring justice, truth, and righteousness to your situation. When we do that, it's a reminder something better is coming. And it's a reminder that we're all part of God's family together. We're not alone. Because sometimes we can go through our week and we go through our life and we can feel very alone. But Paul reminds us that we eat this and drink this together. We do it in community. And it's a reminder that we are all the same at the foot of the cross. When we look out as part of community, we all need Jesus. No one's better or worse than the other. We are all sinners at the foot of the cross. We're all in the need of forgiveness. We're all recipients of God's grace. It's why Paul in this passage said there should be no fighting against each other. There should be no divisions, but we should reach out and embrace. And then we're reminded that we are all the same, no worse, no better, and we need Jesus. Paul says this is why communion, it's a sacrament. It's a gift of God because we're proclaiming something. And because of what we proclaim, Paul says we should also take time to reflect and to examine ourselves. And in verse 23, he says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of Christ. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be condemned by the world. And Paul here, he says something very serious, like understanding that when we share this meal, when we share it together, we are pointing people to Jesus, that Jesus is the source of our salvation. Jesus is present. Jesus binds us together as a community. It's a, it's a meal remembering what Jesus has done. So eat it in a worthy manner. And Paul says, you don't take it for granted. You don't just necessarily eat it in self-righteousness or self-exaltation, but we come humbly and we come knowing God. Now, sometimes people go, well, I'm not worthy. I shouldn't have communion because I'm not worthy. It says, don't eat it in an unworthy manner. I don't feel worthy. That's not what Paul is saying. None of us are worthy of Jesus. All our righteousness, the Old Testament says, is like filthy rags. We're, we're unworthy, but we're invited together to meet him. And so we examine ourselves. And as we get ready to eat this meal in a moment, I just invite you, ask yourself three questions. The first is we eat in an unworthy manner when we eat in self-righteousness, when we think we're pretty good, when we think, hey, I, I've done well, when we don't take time to just examine where is our righteousness as filthy rags? Where have we messed up? Where is it in our life we need Jesus? And sometimes when we think, oh, I can just do that or I can do that or God's got me on his team and that's pretty good, that's probably eating in the wrong way. It's coming and saying, God, I'm grateful. Thank you. 
thank you that you came into my life. Thank you that you opened my eyes. Thank you that you died on the cross for something that I could never do, to take away my shame and guilt and sin. Secondly, I think we eat in an unrighteous or an unworthy way when we eat kind of defensively, when we think, oh, I know Jesus died and I know I give my life to Jesus, but I'm gonna do what I want. I'm not going to surrender this part of my life to Jesus. I'm gonna keep doing what I want. And sometimes it's easy to do that. It's saying, well, then this area of my life, I'm gonna follow him, but this area, I know it's wrong, but I'm gonna continue. And, and there's an unworthiness when we say, I'm not gonna completely surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Now, does that mean we're gonna be perfect and sinless and holy? No, we're gonna mess up, but it's the attitude of our heart. Is our attitude to say, well, I'm gonna obey God in this, but not in that? Or is our attitude to say, hey, Jesus, it's all about you. You're present, you lead my life, you convict me, you show me where to live. Where does God? need to work in your life and show you something. And the third way we eat it unworthily and to examine ourselves is, are, are we causing any just division within the church? And this was really what Paul was trying to get to in this passage in Corinthians, where Paul is saying, uh, you know, there's fights and quarrels and, and divisions, and then you come together and you share this meal that's a remembrance, a thank you meal for what Jesus has done, and you've got all these factions and groups and divisions, he said, hey, it's a time to examine. And are you divided with someone? Are you, are you not seeking reconciliation? Have you not uh, asked for forgiveness? Have you not uh, invited people to, to share and speak into your life? Are you holding people at bay? And it's an opportunity to do that. And I would just encourage you in a, a moment, maybe there's someone you need to text or say you're sorry to, or write a note to and just ask God, examine yourself. Is there an area of self-righteousness? Is there an area of defensiveness? Is there an area just of division in your life? And we're gonna sing this song together. And then in a moment, we're gonna share communion. But Jesus gave us two things, baptism and communion. They're pictures to the world of what Jesus has done. They're what binds us together as we, the church. Other people don't do this. This is what the church does to remember Jesus. And there are opportunities for us to invite the Spirit into our life. Would you pray with me? Father, I just pray in the next few moments that we would examine ourselves. You'd speak to us. Show me. And I know you've showed me some things about my life and my world and my attitudes. And Lord, I ask forgiveness for those. Would we be humble people? Would we be people who seek you? Jesus, would we be people who meet with you regularly for a gratitude meal, sharing what you have done? And Jesus, would you be present and work in our life and more so in the church? In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.